In the Pew Bibles, you can follow the reading, which is on page 157. Page 157, and we're reading from the book of Numbers. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. Now there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our fathers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the people... The why did you bring the Lord's community into the desert that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, Take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community, <clears throat> so that they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honour me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land that I give them. These were the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarrelled with the Lord and where he showed himself holy among them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Uh, for those who are guests with us today, and uh, there are a number, which is wonderful. It's, it's lovely to have you here with us. Uh, you're more than welcome, and you're welcome uh, whenever you'd like to come back. Um, but we have been looking through the book of Numbers over the uh, past few weeks. And so, unfortunately, you're, you're a little bit behind, uh, but that's okay. Uh, we won't hold that against you. Um, Numbers is a book in the Old Testament. And as you've heard there, it's a book uh, which talks about Moses and, uh, and the Israelites. It follows on from Exodus. And you may well be familiar with the story of Exodus um, Exodus is the story of uh, how um, Moses, uh, guided by God, leads the people of Israel out of Egypt. And Exodus ends at Mount Sinai, uh, where Moses goes up, gets the Ten Commandments. That's as far as they get uh, in Exodus. And then Numbers continues the story on from Mount Sinai to the uh, Promised Land. 
Previously, we've looked at how uh, the people have uh, crossed into uh, to, to the very edge of the promised land and they didn't have faith in God that he would uh, lead them into the land and so they, uh, they are in the desert. God said, you'll be in the desert for, for 40 years because you didn't trust me, uh, because you didn't trust that I would uh, give this land to you. You were, you were afraid of the people who were there and so you will spend 40 years in the desert and God actually said, that every single person um, who was alive over the age of 20 who was involved uh, in the, the census that's done at the start of Numbers, the big count, that's why it's called Numbers, um, and every single person who was alive at that point, uh, who was over the age of 20, who was in the army, um, would not live to see the promised land because they didn't trust God, but it would be their children who would enter the promised land. And so here we are, once again at the edge of the promised land, And it seems like only a week or so that we last spoke, uh, but actually it's 38 years. 38 years have passed since the last thing we heard about. The people have been in the desert for 38 years, going round and round in circles, because they didn't trust God. 38 years is a long time. It's uh, it's a lifetime, actually. It's my lifetime. Well, it will be in a, a week or so's time. I will be 38 38 years, my whole lifetime is the time that these people have been in the desert, walking round and round. And as we see at the start of this passage in verse 1 there, that Miriam has died, and within the year, before the year is out, both Moses and Aaron would also be dead. And with them dying is the passing of that generation who did not trust the Lord. They are the last to, to die, the last alive. And all that remains now is their children, who have grown up, obviously, who will, uh, God will lead into the land. Another thing that's become familiar to us over the past few weeks as we've been hearing about numbers is uh, the familiar story of the people complaining. The people complain. They moan and they complain and they grumble. It seems that that is all they do. And they complain against God. They complain against Moses. And then what generally happens is God gets uh, quite annoyed with the people and he uh, judges them in some way and then they cry out for mercy and they cry out to Moses and to God for mercy and God is merciful and he relents. Well, here we are. The people are moaning again. They're moaning again. But the result this time is not judgment that God brings, but God gives them what it is they're asking for. And in fact, in a dramatic turning round of events, normally it's Moses praying on behalf of the people. Moses is the good guy and the people are the bad guys. Well, actually, it's the other way around here. The people are okay. They're good with God. God doesn't mind the people. Uh, But Moses is in trouble. Moses is the one who gets in trouble. Why is it that God is not angry with the people at this point? Well, it's because of the length that their moaning goes to. And if we look in the text, we see that they're moaning. And actually, they moan to the point to say, oh, wouldn't it be better if we just died? Wouldn't it be better if we were dead rather than here with no water? And their complaint to God is essentially this. Either give us water so that we will not die of thirst, or basically put an end to us now. Either kill us now because there's no point in us living, or give us water. You remember in the past, the people have gone much further than that. Do you remember how previously we've heard them say things like, we were better off in Egypt. We were better off before you interfered in our lives, God. 
We were better off before you rescued us from the slavery that we were in. You see, previously the people have said, we're better off without God. We'd rather go our own way. We'd find another leader. We'll go back to Egypt. We'll go back into slavery than be with God. That's what made God angry before. But here they don't do that. They just say, give us water or kill us. There's nothing else. There's no other point. There's no other point in living. And God is gracious to them. I want to tell you a story. Uh, It's a true story. And I know it's a true story because my mum told me the story. And it's a story about her. It was about her when she was a small child. She um, was, um, her family, they, they weren't rich, my grandparents, they weren't a rich family, they, they just about got by, they lived in Manchester um, on, a, on a relatively rough, rough estate, if you go there now it's all boarded up, it's great, um, <laughs> but she lived there in this uh, small house, uh, but they did have in their house a sofa, it was my grandma's pride and joy, and it was a fake leather sofa. But it was immaculate, and it took pride of place in the front room. My mum knew that my uh, grandma loved this sofa, and so she decided that she would do something to make the sofa even better. So she took her compass, and she put little pinholes all the way through the sofa in a wonderful pattern. And she made sure she measured the distances correctly between all the pinholes. She spent hours doing this sofa, covering it in pinholes to create a lovely design on the sofa. Now, when my grandma got home and saw what my mother had done, what do you think she thought? (laughs) Did she think, wow, what a wonderful daughter I have, spending all this time making my sofa even more beautiful? She did not think that. She got very angry, (laughs) and I think my mum got smacked legs and sent to bed without any supper. And why have I told you that story? Well, I've told you that story because I think that sense that my mum had of feeling very pleased with herself, thinking she'd done a good job, and then suddenly realising that actually she'd really messed it up, was probably what Moses felt in this story. See, Moses, and perhaps quite rightly, he's been in the wilderness for 40 years with these people. These people who moan and complain on and on and on. And he's seen the way God responds to their moaning and complaining. Perhaps he's just grown a little tired of them. Perhaps he's grown a little bit too big for his own boots. Which is why when he uh, comes to bring water from the rock, he says, should we bring water from this rock for you? Should we bring water? As if in, in, in and of himself he has any power to make that rock produce water. Putting himself alongside God. Elevating himself to a position that he should not have. And more than that, he doesn't listen to what God tells him to do. God says, take the staff, but speak to the rock. Speak to the rock and water will come out of that rock. But perhaps because of a previous story, which we'll look at in a moment from Exodus, a very similar event where Moses was told to strike the rock in that case and water came out. Perhaps that was in his mind. Perhaps he got a little bit too big for his boots and decided to strike that rock with the staff again, two times. Maybe that second time, because the first time didn't produce the result he was expecting. 
doesn't listen to what God tells him to do, does things his own way, puts himself alongside God. And although water comes from the rock and the people are saved, God is angry with Moses. And because Moses does not trust God and does not honour God in the way he uh, acts there, Moses assigns himself a fate alongside that uh, people who have died in the wilderness. Because Moses doesn't trust God, on the very edge of the promised land again, Moses blows it and he loses his right to lead God's people into the promised land. So let's have a little look back at that uh, Exodus passage. A very similar scene and it will seem very familiar and it will be one that you know, I'm sure, but listen to this. This is in Exodus, chapter 17. The whole Israelite community set out from the, place, uh, from, set out from the desert of Sin, which is a different place from the desert of Zin, which is there at the moment. Travelling from place to place, as the Lord commanded, they uh, camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink, so they quarrelled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink, sound familiar? Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there. And they grumbled against Moses and they said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. Then the Lord answered Moses, Walk on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord not among us? They tested the Lord. They tested the Lord. That's important. So who are the characters in this story? Well, we've got God, the Lord. We've got Moses and we have the people, or at least the elders of the people. But there's also some other uh, elements to this story. There's the rock itself. There's the water that flows from the rock, and there's the staff which Moses used to strike the rock. And it's my uh, understanding that these things are symbolic. They are symbolic, and God is trying to explain to his people through a picture form, through something that's happening in front of them, something of his relationship with them, And I understand that it's symbolic because in the New Testament, when Paul is talking about these things, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 4, Paul says this, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and they passed through the sea. They were all baptised into Moses in the cloud and the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. So when Paul's talking about the Israelites in the desert there, being led by that cloud, eating the spiritual bread of heaven, the manna, and drinking the water from that rock, that rock is Christ. That rock is Jesus. 
See, Paul sees uh, what is happening here with the uh, Israelites as symbolic of some deeper truth. And if the rock is Jesus, then the water that flows from the rock is the life that flows from Jesus. In John 4, Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman and he offers her living water. Water that if she drinks it, she will never thirst again. He offers her this spiritual life symbolised by water. And what then of the staff? What's the significance of this staff? Well, in Exodus 4, um, we, we see the beginnings of this staff. It's the staff that Moses is holding when he sees God in the burning bush. And in Exodus 4, verses 20, it's referred to as the staff of God. And it's the same staff which Moses is holding when he uh, brings the judgments of God against uh, Egypt. It's the same staff that he's holding in his hand where he demonstrates the power before Pharaoh and where he brings down those curses upon the people of Egypt. It's the same staff which he strikes the Nile, which which, uh, turns it to blood. It's the same staff he's holding when the Red Sea is parted. It's the same staff that he holds above his head in the next passage in Exodus when the Israelites are fighting the Amalekites and when he holds the staff up, when it's above his head, the Israelites are winning the battle. But when his strength goes and he drops the staff, the Amalekites start winning the battle. The staff is a sign of God's authority, God's judgment and God's justice. It's the same staff. The same staff with which God judged Egypt, God tells Moses to strike the rock. Do you see what's happening here? Before the assembled elders of Israel... Moses is told to strike Jesus, the rock, with God's own staff of judgment. God's judgment comes against Jesus. He meets his judgment full on. And what is the result? Life for the people. My friends, this is a picture of the cross. Jesus hanging on that cross for us, facing God's judgment in our place facing the full judgment of God. And it even says here that they tested God there. God was tested. God faced his own judgment and God was shown to be gracious and life-giving. God endured the judgment of not only the people but himself and was proven to be life-giving. I look forward to numbers. You see, there's a different thing going on here. And if what happened in Exodus was a picture of uh, God's attitude and his heart towards his people and his grace, and the way that he would face the judgment of his people, the way that he would face his own judgment on his people, well then here in numbers, God is trying to demonstrate something else. He's trying to demonstrate something to his people that's different from what they already know about him. He says to Moses, take the staff, but speak to the rock. All you have to do is ask this rock to produce water and it will produce water. There's no judgment required now. You know that about God. You know that God, when you test him, is found to be life-giving. All you need to do is speak to God. You ask him and he will provide. 
And what a wonderful truth that is for us. That when we are in need, we only have to ask God and he will provide for us. See, he's done all the work necessary through Jesus' death and resurrection for us to now come into God's presence. To open that way so that we can access God. And now all we need to do is ask and God will answer. So today, perhaps, if you are facing a difficulty, and today, perhaps, even if you have never prayed before in your life, and perhaps you would say that you have no faith whatsoever, but if you find yourself in a difficulty and you don't know the way out, God has made a way that we can simply ask, and he will be at work in our lives. Ask and you'll receive. Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened. But there's a warning here as well. Because Moses thought he knew how God should do it. He thought he knew how it worked. And he was trying to force God into working the way he wanted God to work. He wanted to put God in his box. Well, let me tell you this. Sometimes when we ask God to meet our needs, sometimes the answer he gives is not the way we would have him answer. His solutions may be different from the solutions that we see and we like. But here's the truth. God's solutions are better. God's solutions are better than anything we could plan for ourselves. And the desperate, sad truth of Moses' story is this. That if Moses had just had faith in God, just trusted in him this one last time, as he had done through his whole life, he would have seen God's glory displayed in the promised land. But because he did not have that faith, he missed out on something wonderful God had for him. God has wonderful plans in store for all of us, every single one of us in this room. Whether you know it and recognise it or not, he has those plans for you. If you trust him, and if you follow him, and if you allow him to, he will do wonderful things in your life. Things which will blow your mind. He will take you to places and show you things you cannot even imagine. And what he has planned for you is far greater than anything you could plan for yourself. Father God, we thank you for the message of Numbers. Lord, we thank you for Moses' wonderful example, but here we thank you, Lord, that you are gracious that you demonstrated to your people that you will answer their prayers when they cry out to you. And that's true for us now, Lord. Father, we thank you for the plans you have for us and would you give us the strength and the faith to follow you, to walk in your way as you lead us into your truth. Amen.